0: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies, brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Creative Real Estate Podcast from realbluespruce.com. I'm your host, DJ Scruggs, along with my partner, Adam Adams. Hi, Adam. Hey. And we are really excited today to have Matt Terrio on the program. Uh, I know Adam and I are both enthusiastic listeners of his podcast, so we're really excited. We also know that he's done a lot of creative stuff. So, um, hello, Matt. Hello, how are you guys? We are good, and before we jump into the creative stuff, can you just, uh, for those of the few listeners who may not have
1: heard of you, can you just give us the quick, quick background on how you got into real estate? Sure, sure. Yeah, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent the next 15 years of my life in the music business and did very well for myself at a very young age. And then this thing called the digital download came along, mm-hmm. and it put all of the music stores right out of business. And when people stopped buying CDs, I didn't have a business anymore either. So uh, in six short months after that happened, I uh, found myself divorced, bankrupt, and went from a seven-figure year to $7 an hour bag in groceries.
0: The holy trinity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you said short and fast, so I'm getting get to the point. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did not have a plan B. I didn't have anything else that I had ever planned on or prepared for in life. Music and everything just happened so easily. So after six months of soul searching and bagging groceries, I uh, had uh, some very wise fingers point me in the direction of real estate that if I wanted to get my life back, if I wanted to get my income and my money back, that was probably going to be my best shot at doing it. And I knew I had to learn something else, so I was like, well, why not go and learn about the thing that gives me the best shot at making it happen? And I remember the uh, very key words, and I I use these words to this day, and uh, it was actually from the grocery store manager. And he said, real estate is the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating real wealth. And I was like, "Wow, I'm feeling far below average right now." So that's probably <laughs> the path I should choose. So I did, and you know, I stumbled upon the. Actually, he handed off the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, to me, and that sent me down a rabbit hole of finding uh, like-minded people, finding investment, or excuse me, educational platforms, finding mentors and coaches, and just immersed myself in that whole conversation. And. By following the ideas of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I was able to escape the rat race. I got my passive income to exceed my monthly expenses in less than four years. True. And, and when was this that you started doing that? This, this was mm, 2004-ish, 2005-ish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I spent about three or four years as a real estate agent mm-hmm. and then kind of discovered, oh, if real estate is where the money's at, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. <laughs> and once I made that decision to go to the other side of the desk, that's when it all really started to happen for me
0: I have one question about that store manager. I think I've always wanted to ask that to you Matt Are you still friends with him and does he know how much he's impacted your life and a lot of other people's lives since?
1: Yeah, you know that. No, he has no clue And, <laughs> and shamefully, I do not even remember his name Uh I really don't. Um, I I just don't. I didn't know it was such a pivotal moment and such a monumental moment at the time. I remember that little quote he said, but I actually don't. I mean, I probably go back to the store and and find him, but I think he retired. I mean, his whole thing was when he really convinced me is he had been bagging groceries there since he was in high school at 16 years old. And uh, we were both 34 years old when we met. So he was the manager of the store. I was the, uh, the bagging clerk. And so we had a lot of Commonality just because our age was the same but he was only 2 years away from reaching his 20 years at that store and he I think he was going to collect 80% of his full pay if he retired at, at 20 wow after 20 years so at, at 36 years old he was getting 20 per or excuse me 80% of his full-time salary but he had showed me that I'm I'm retiring in 2 years and I get this freight great salary, but this is what I've done along the way. I purchased these apartment buildings. I think he had six of them, mm-hmm. and the cash flow from these apartment buildings is actually going to pay me more than what my salary is. So I've got the salary and the apartment buildings, and I am set at 36 years old. And that just, you know, I, I did not remember his name, <laughs> but I remember <laughs> the story so clearly because it just it set me off in a new direction, and thank God it did.
0: Somewhere he's telling a story of I I gave all this advice to all these people and none of them followed it. Yeah, probably right. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think he has any clue. He's certainly uh, going to live on anyway. Yeah, <laughs> th- yeah. right. Well, um, that's a terrific backstory. And uh, why don't we just jump right into it? Uh, you know, as as we mentioned at the beginning, the the podcast is about creative real estate strategies, and we know that you have done quite a bit of that, and so. Why don't you just share with us an, an example of some of the creative deals you've done?
1: Sure. Yeah, I was really attracted to the creative strategies when I, I made a, this large investment in my education. And thank God I found a really good uh, resource for that on the very first time I hear most people aren't so lucky. Um, but uh, they had, I don't know, was it probably 50 different classes and and, and courses to choose from. And I was really attracted to this way that you could do real estate with no money, no credit. We'd all heard that before. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, they actually have a course on it and it's pretty intense course. Let's go learn that one first. And, uh, so I did and I was just really attracted to stuff like subject to and seller financing and, and lease options and just all different ways of structuring deals. And, uh, one of the things that they had said in that course is, you know, as an investor, you purchase money in one of two ways, either by your price in their terms or their price in your terms. As long as you can control one of those, you can create a great deal for yourself. Hmm. So that's just always been my philosophy right from the beginning. And uh, I, I'll just talk about the very first deal. Sure. They, told, they told me, uh, I had to say, well, where am I going to get the money for this? So you don't understand. You don't need the money. You don't need the money until you've got the deal. And like most people, I was skeptical about that, and kind of it puts a little bit of fear in you when mm-hmm. you're trying to put a deal under contract and you have no clue as to how you're going to close it. Right. You know, so you're kind of making a promise to somebody that you don't have the answer for yet. And so they they started me off as just drive for dollars, drive through neighborhoods, look for dilapidated properties, look for overgrown weeds, look for newspapers in the in the driveway, stuff like that. And I had stumbled upon a property that was looks like it was half rehabbed and then abandoned. Mm-hmm. So it was in really bad shape. And it had a, a for sale sign in front of it. I called the for sale sign. Or I called the number on the sign. And I said, I'd like to make you an offer on the property. Scared to death. <laughs> because uh, I didn't have any money. To, and this was in Long Beach, California. And I think the property was like $350,000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I barely had, you know, maybe $3.50 in my pocket level and $350,000. And... I put it under contract. I took it back to my mentor. I said, okay, now what? He says, okay, now this is what you're going to do. You're going to start sharing this with everybody. And uh, you're going to go to the re-meetings and you're going to really promote equity and you're going to promote ROI. Focus on what's in it for the crowd that's listening to you. Don't be one of those guys that stands up and and tells the long story about how you found this great property and the poor owner and they just need help and blah, 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 blah all the stuff that nobody cares about. <laughs> Focus on what's in it for the person that you're looking for. And right now you're looking for a money person and you're looking for a contractor because you got to finish the work. So I just focused in on that. I said, I've got this great property under contract. It's $350,000. Uh, I need someone to help me rehab it. We have that projected about hundred dollars and after repair value, be about seven fifty. dollars if you'd like more information on this property or others just like it, he told me to say that so it didn't sound like this was my only deal, um, meet me at the back of the room. I'd be glad to give you a flyer. So that was the whole thing. And I only had to do that twice before I found the person that came back says, I got the money and the contracting team. Let's go see it. And that was like the the big deal for me. I mean, that was the one that really made me a believer that, you know, if you have control over the deal and you actually have equity and you actually have ROI, you've got control over that, then You know, it's really easy to find the money. There's no shortage of money out there that's looking for a good deal, and so that was my main focus, which is just find deals. Like, if this is what everybody wants, the people with the money, everything that I was short in, if uh, they're just looking for deals, if I be good, uh, get good at finding deals, then the money will find me, and that was my whole mantra. And that's exactly how I've played it out here. I don't know what nine, ten years later. And so that was your very first deal. How many have you done since then? I can't even count. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I always say a, a thousand plus transactions. Holy cow. At, at least. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's
0: an excellent sort of uh, opening story. So I have a question about um, something specific that I've learned about from listening to your podcast, which mm-hmm. is um, you call it the three option letter of intent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just give us a really quick overview of
1: what that is and, and how you use it? Sure. So when someone goes to, to learn about how to do a subject to deal or how to do a seller carryback or how to do a wrap or an all inclusive trust deed, all these different creative strategies of, of formatting a deal or structuring a deal. Um, what I found in the beginning, if I went in and talked to that seller about purchasing their property and started right off the bat talking about, Hey, I'll just take over the payments and I'll give you 10 grand and you can get lost and I'll take over the rest and However, if I fail, it's going to be on your on your credit score. <laughs> right, thing. right, right, right. You know I, that that, and there's a lot of great investors out there that do that. I just wasn't very good at that without I mean, at the same time of like uh, instilling any sort of trust in somebody that I just met a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I'd go in and my first thing would I'd align myself with the seller. So it was the seller and myself against the market. Mm-hmm. You've you've got a problem, Mister and Mrs. Seller. I've got a solution. Let's see if the market will allow us to both get what we want. That's how I positioned everything and framed all of our conversations. And if we were unable to come to an agreement on the purchase price, then I would follow that up with, okay, great. It looks like the market is not going to let us both get what we want. But what I can do is I'm going to leave this three option letter of intent for you. And it's three different ways that I'm prepared to purchase your property. And uh, I'll leave that right here. My number's at the bottom. If any of these resonate with you, give me a call and uh, we'll see if we can make something happen. So did you have that prepared before you walked in? Uh, Not in the beginning. Um, Later on, it was really easy for me to just doodle that on a piece of scratch paper. In the beginning, all I'd say is, you know what? It doesn't look like the Mark's going to allow us to get what we want. Um, What I'll do is I'm going to be driving through here tomorrow. I'll just drop off a three option letter of intent and I can just leave it on the doorstep if you want, or I'll put it in your mailbox. Tell me what you want. And, you know, there might be something else there that, that works for us. So I I would go home take my time, put it together and drive back. And, and so what, what do you, do you
0: offer the same three options to everyone or?
1: Yeah. So what I would do in this three option letter of intent, I would specifically give them three different types of deals. So that would uh, my my thought process in the beginning was if I give them three different types of deals, if one of these options doesn't work for them, now I can mix and match without it being some foreign strategy or former foreign concept. So option one was always the the highest cash offer that we ended up at that I would have accepted after our discussion. So at least they have that as a reference point. Mm-hmm. So we have this hundred thousand dollar property and I was like, I can't in my own math, I couldn't pay more than 70 grand for it. So that would be, Option number one, $70,000 cash. So that's my price, their terms. They wanted cash. And then option two, I would do a seller finance deal interest only. So I would, if I'm going to take some terms and I can give them a little bit more on the price. So I might give them like $80,000, but I'm going to, uh, you're going to carry the money back for five years at 6% interest.
0: Is, is there typically a down payment with that?
1: Yeah, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd offer them a little bit of money up front for sure. Okay. And then option number three, I'd give them a little bit of a higher price. And so I, maybe i go 95,000 and then I'm just gonna divide the ba- I'll give you say 10% down and I'll divide the balance up into 200 equal monthly payments. So being a principal only carry back without saying principal only. Right, right. That's, <laughs> right, that was my question.
0: It's like, yeah. like to me that's like, well, wait a minute, you know, time yeah, yeah. value of money, but if
1: it works, it works, right? Totally, and when you start, you know, looking at how loans play out and amortization plays out, I mean, if I did a tri- bought the property at a discount, at, say at the eighty thousand, and that was a thirty-year loan with the traditional bank financing, by the time it's all done, I'm going to spend at least one sixty to two hundred grand for that property. Mm-hmm. Now, if I offered them ninety grand right now at a two hundred equal monthly payments, or even offered them one hundred and ten thousand on their hundred thousand dollar home, even offered more than what they were asking, more than what they could get. Still, in the long run, it was a much better deal for me. Right. Paid a lot less money since everything went straight to principal. So I would send that three option letter of intent and then everyone says, well, what if they have a mortgage on it, right? So I always made that three option letter of intent based on the assumption that there wasn't any mortgage, that they owned it free and clear. Mm -hmm. Because if they had a mortgage, now it was going to be them that brings it up and say, I like option number two, but what do we do about the mortgage? So now that naturally opened up that conversation to talk about a subject to deal. And okay. just for our listeners, r- remind us what a subject to deal is. Sure. You're taking ownership of the property. You're going to make the payments of the property, but the mortgage stays in the seller's name. So even after you own it, the mortgage is still in their name. And you can imagine if you introduce that as your first option on the first meeting, people mm. are going to think you're totally insane. Yeah. You're some kind of scam artist. Yeah. Right. But after you've gone through this process that I just walked you through, um, they bring it up. So we have option number, op, I like option two, but what about the underlying mortgage? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, we can still do it, but this is how it's going to have to be structured because mm-hmm. this is your situation now, and this is the only way to really get around this. Can you go through it with us a little bit? Sure. So what we could say is what I'll do is I'll go ahead and I'll take over, uh, I'll, I'll purchase the property from you, I'll take over the payments, and then we'll pay off your mortgage once I sell the property or I get new financing Mm -hmm. and just in a very non-threatening way in that manner.
0: And, and is it structurally set up so that like, did they get a, like a second lien on the property as part
1: of your, yeah, I mean, there's, when you get into the subject to like a a seller finance with a subject to, there's a lot of variables at play. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on if they have equity and how much you're going to give them at close. If you give them anything, um, it depends on their motivation and how quickly they need to get out of this situation. Um yeah it's it and they might even have a second on it and so now you're carrying back or they're carrying back a third hmm. you know um and might and also it depends on what is your intent with this property are you going to hold it for cash flow or are you going to take 6 months to fix it up and try and resell it for full retail i mean there's there's just so many variables there but the point being is now you get to have that conversation with guards down and real interest, yeah. genuine interest from the other side and getting their problem resolved. Yeah. And and so do you pretty much do
0: that for every property you you make an offer on?
1: Yeah. We, we send out a three option letter of intent on any deal that we're unable to reach a, an agreement of the price.
0: Okay. So you do initially go in and, and just try to buy it outright? And oh, it's totally. I, okay. I'd always
1: prefer the equity than the, the carry back if I can get it for I sure. See. Okay. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've...
0: You know, I came across this, I don't know, maybe six months ago and Mm -hmm. I've done it here and there, but it's been just very haphazard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've been kicking myself like I need to get consistent and
1: Mm -hmm. no, it needs to be a a consistent flow for sure. So those conversations we have will always get a three option letter of intent. If we were unable to reach an agreement, um, anybody that calls and like, we didn't even set an appointment, there wasn't a whole lot of motivation there. Mm -hmm. We still send them a three option letter of intent. And then what we also do is for rents, we scrape for rentals, we do a, a title search, and we send them a 3 option letter of intent as our direct mailing piece.
0: Really? Because it's funny because I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, actually maybe someone, you know, Brian Elwood, mm-hmm. um, about doing that, that exact strategy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe you should ask Matt. And, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and we'll, we'll send a cover letter with that because we know we're sending it to an absentee owner that has a vacant house that they probably just spent some money, uh, repairing. And so we'll send that cover letter kind of, you know, addressing those concerns that they probably have going on in their head. You know, I'm an investor too. And like, like myself, I bet you got into this for passive income, but you know, when we start to get the realities of what it's like to be a landlord, sometimes these things go vacant. Sometimes we put a lot of money into it and sometimes it can be really painful and you're not receiving passive income right now. Mm. So, you know, if, you, if, it's, if you're open to it, I'd be prepared to purchase property in one of these three ways so you could still get the passive income that you originally signed up for without the management headaches. So that's the gist of what the cover letter says.
0: And how do you pick a price for that?
1: Oh, we just we go off of Zillow. And okay. we'll we'll go – here's our, our formula right now in our markets is we'll take 95% of what the Zestimate is. Mm-hmm and just call that fair market value and work our way backwards. But our whole purpose of that three option letter of intent is to get into the conversation. Right, right, right. You know, it says we are prepared to purchase your property in one of these three ways. And if we do, it's just going to be based off once we can confirm the number of repairs in the market or any encumbrances. So that really, it leaves it very, very open. And now once we have that conversation, now I can go look at real numbers. Well, it's
0: definitely, I mean, I've done my share of direct mail. I'm certainly not an expert, but. Just putting that, you know, when you put a number in front of someone Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, like you said, you have different options. It definitely stimulates their thinking more
1: than if it's just, hey, I want to buy your house. Give me a call. Uh, It changes the whole dynamic of the thing. Right. You know, having a number down in writing, it's, uh, you know, with a signature on it, like Mm -hmm. a live signature, like it's, wow, okay, uh, got it. Um, Let me give this some consideration. Let me really think this through. So that, that piece of mail is getting a lot more uh, consideration from the seller than the postcard. Yeah.
0: Hey, Matt, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners if you could walk us through your process from the beginning of the conversation with the sellers and maybe, maybe a little bit about the psychology behind
1: it. Really helpful. Sure. Um, so because of the amount of marketing that we do, we get a pretty high call volume. So we can't spend a lot of time with every single person that calls. Mm-hmm. So we've put three sorting questions in place. That's our whole intent of that first call is just to sort. We're looking for prospects out of all the suspects that are gonna be calling us. And our prospects are those, we've categorized those as people that need to sell. Suspects are those that want to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so the prospects, that's who we're looking for. So to do that, we'll say, when they call us, say, hey, glad you called, um, you know, why me, why now? Can you tell me about your situation? So that's our first question. Can you tell me about your situation? Why'd you call? Great. Okay. Um, they say, What do you mean? You mailed me. I said, I know, but you probably received a lot of mail. Why'd you call our number and not everyone else's?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So we'll just kind of go there. And then, second is after that comes down to a natural close of that conversation, we'll ask them, Okay, great. So what would you like to have happen? Mm-hmm. So we leave it that question because we don't want to just say, Well, I'll give you a, a 150 grand for your property. Because mm-hmm. y- a lot of people get, get into this business, they think money is the only answer for sellers. Right. And the only reason people are calling this piece of uh, direct mail that you've sent is because they got something going on in their life that's much bigger than the sale of a house. Mm-hmm. And the sale of that house is going to remedy or mitigate or maybe even you know make the, whatever they're dealing with go away entirely. So that's what their real motivation is. So we ask, what would you like to have happen instead of how much do you want or I'm prepared to give you this. Because sometimes they say, you know what, if you can just make this headache go away, you can have the house. That mm-hmm. happens more times wow. than what most people would realize. So we'll um, we'll ask that, and then once they tell that, we kind of repeat it back to them, saying, so what you're saying is, if we could make this go away, and you know, you could get on about yourself and say you just got five grand to move into your apartment, your next place, that would be okay. Go, yeah, that'd be great, great. So if I could make that happen, how soon would you be ready to sell? So we get the time frame, and if we get thirty days or less we feel we have a motivated seller, it's worthy of setting an appointment. Wow. So that's our, our quick three question process so we can go ahead and we can sort through the massive amounts of calls that we get. That,
0: then, is, uh, that is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I've already learned so much just from this 20 minutes.
1: Oh, well, cool. Good. Um, so the next is uh, we have a seller information questionnaire, a seller intake form, probably the same type of thing that most people use when you're just gonna collect data on the on the property and i'll say hey i got some questions that i would like to ask you but you know let's go ahead and kill two birds with one stone we can get a lot resolved if i can just see the property while i'm asking these questions um well when's the soonest that you could meet uh, i can do it this afternoon or i could do it first thing in the morning which one's better for you mm-hmm. okay so we set the appointment so that's our whole goal of the phone call is to assess motivation and set an appointment now that's that's the only thing we're trying to do mm-hmm. so once we get to the uh the appointment you know, you use, you hi, I'm Matt and here to, you know, here for our appointment and I just have some questions to ask you. And also I'll lay down this thing of, um, I'm sorry. When I set the appointment, we have to set the expectations first. So we'll say, uh, you know, I'm coming over, I'm going to take a look at the property. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to help you or not. And I promise you if I can't help you, I'm going to tell you as soon as I'm aware of that. Is that fair? And they'll say yes and all I'm going to ask in return is if at any point during our conversation that we're we're during our meeting you you feel that this isn't going to be a good fit for you will you extend the same courtesy to me and just tell me it's not going to work out mm-hmm. so we put that up there in front and what that that's called a uh, an upfront contract yeah, I was gonna say Dito
0: Sandler sales training
1: yeah it came came from Sandler yeah uh, yeah keep totally, going totally but I, I it's it's so important because it really uh, drops the guard of the seller. Yeah. Like you're not looking like the money hungry drooling wolf that's coming over to steal their sheep, you know? Right. And the, the, there's another thing in there that's in there is called what we call a release statement. And the the psychology behind that is you have to give the person the comfort and the freedom to actually say no. Right. Right. Because a lot of people say yes when they mean no, because they don't want to be rude or they don't want to, you know, or, or they'll it. say, I want to think it over, which really means I no. want to think exactly, exactly. So a release statement is you're not going to get a true yes unless you give them the freedom and the ability to say no, right? So that that's really important before that meeting. And so now they're thinking about that. Oh, okay, this guy's different. I want to talk to. I I'm looking forward to talking to this guy. So when we get there. We've got the uh, the little seller information questionnaire. I say, great. I'm just going to ask you some questions, and I let them know that these are the same questions I ask everybody. Because a lot of a lot, some of these questions are a little bit intrusive. They might be a little bit personal. Uh, you know, we dig into their finances a little bit. So we just let them know this is the same question I ask everybody. And I'm gonna read them right off of this piece of paper. So I give myself, I don't have to memorize these questions, I'm gonna read them right, right. off my little clipboard. Yeah. I'm gonna read them to make sure I don't miss anything, particularly anything that might cost you money or an opportunity. So right. it's in, it's now in their best interest that I read these right off the paper. Yeah. And then I ask them, is it okay if I do that? And then they give me permission and boom, everything's clear, right? So we go through the whole process and uh, we'll do what's called a soft pass from there. Um, so Mr. Seller, based on what you shared with me and what the market conditions say, and then after carving out just a small little profit for myself, you're saying we're right around $65,000 for your property. Is that right? Hmm. And I just be quiet because all I did was say, this is what you said it was gonna be. You know, This is what you said the market conditions were. This is what uh, you said the repairs were. And then of course, you know I'm an investor. Um, I will need to make a little bit of money for myself. Uh, you're saying we're right at 65,000. And then if they say yes, then boom we we get the contract signed. If they say no, we go to the next step and I say, okay, um, well, then uh, you know you now know what what I've seen, what is the lowest price you'd accept for this property, right? Based off what the market conditions is saying and what you've shared with me, what is the lowest number you would accept? So I want them to give me the number. Mm -hmm. So if they come back with a number that I find acceptable, then I'll go ahead and I get the contract signed. If they don't agree, then it goes into the next phase. And we do this like five times. A lot of people go in and they just say they can't come to an agreement and they walk out and no deal. We just keep on going. So, all right, so let's see. Well, you know, my biggest goal here, Mr. Seller, it's not to make the biggest profit, although it is to make a profit. I mean, this is my business. It's how I feed my family. But my bigger goal is just to make sure that I'm safe and that I don't lose money. And based off the current market conditions, what you're proposing, what they're proposing, not what I'm proposing, what they're proposing, it's beyond my risk tolerance. Would $70,000 be doable if I could close quicker? Mm. So still, it's very much, would it be doable? It's not like this is what I'm gonna give you. So it's very much still up in the air. But then I also introduce a secondary negotiating factor, if I could close quicker. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Right. So that way now where there's a give and take because if you just narrow it down to the number someone's going to win someone's going to lose. But if you put an extra factor in there now we can do give and take, we can make concessions, we can both kind of get a little bit closer to what we want. So we'll say if we can close quicker, but it could be, you know, if I reduce my contingencies or if if I increased my good earnest money deposit or, you know, if I helped you move out of the house, wh- whatever it may be. Just something that uh, puts an additional factor in there other than the the money. Hmm. So if they agree, we get the contract signed. If they don't, then we go, okay, well, Mr. Vasselli, you now know my biggest goal. This is my favorite question. And sometimes I wanna ask this question right up front, but you have, to re- you have to refrain from asking this question until you're here. Um, you now know my biggest goal. What is yours? Is it to get the highest price or is it to sell fast? So we ask that question because now we're gonna really get down to their motivation. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get to, I need to get the highest price. And it's like, okay, why do you need to get the highest price? Okay, I understand why you need to get the highest price. I would like to help you get the highest price. You know, I've got a great realtor. And to get that price, that's what you're going to need to get. You're going to need to get maximum exposure and expose this property to the public. Because there probably is somebody out there that is willing to give you what you're looking for. But it's just going to take some work. It's going to take some time. But i got a great realtor. They're going to come over. And then I'll just kind of run down of all the kind of the disadvantages of working with a realtor. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it'll probably take them a week, week and a half to uh, get the marketing all set up before they can really start showing your property. They're probably going to ask you to fix a few things around the house, clean up a little bit. Um, It's going to take a while for their marketing to actually hit out there in, in the public to start attracting all of those people. You know, and when that starts happening, then, you know, on your weekends, you'll probably have to go ahead and and go away for the weekend so they can hold your house open. You're gonna have a lot of people coming through your house, but that's how you get the highest price, properties, or how to get the highest price for your properties. You gotta expose it to a lot of people, because that one person, we gotta f- go flush them out. But they're a really great realtor, I'll make the introduction and um, they're gonna take great care of you. So I'll, I'll paint that whole picture to them of what they're gonna have to do to get the highest price. And then they'll say, well, I, I can't go through all of that. Well, then I guess, then you're gonna have to sell fast. So there's a fast price, there's a slow price. Which one do you want? <laughs> Okay. So uh, if they, if they agree to, to that fast price, then we'll go ahead and get it, get it done. And if they don't, then we go into our whole three option letter of intent spiel. Well, Mr. Seller, I'm sorry, it doesn't look like the market's going to allow us to both get what we want. And as a, as a final attempt in creating a win-win scenario for us, what I can do is I can leave you with this letter of intent and you'll see it has three different options on it how I'm prepared to purchase your property. Go ahead take a look at it. Let me know if anything here resonates with you and my numbers right there at the bottom, if you'd like to call me and discuss further. And then we'll do that. This is it's like a I'm trying to think of a good word for it. It,
0: it, Well, it's basically a flow chart, right? If if they say this, then ask this question, and if they do
1: that, then you leave this letter. I, yeah, it's I just try to simplify it a little bit more. So you're just saying it's just yes or no, right? You know, yes, you you say you go ahead and get the contract signed, no, you go on to the next thing, exactly, exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, um. Wow, this was
0: terrific, and uh, we know your time is short, Matt, um, and we'd like to keep these short, but we really appreciate you coming on. Before before we let you go, can you just tell our listeners where they can find you online?
1: Super. So if you're listening to this show, then you obviously know how to find a podcast, and <laughs> my podcast is Epic Real Estate Investing, and it's in the, the business category on iTunes, or if you just want to go to the website, it's epicrealestate.com. Awesome. Excellent. Actually, you know what? If they'd like to get a, a copy of that three-option letter of intent, mm-hmm. we put up a special domain just for this purpose. You can go to epicloi.com, epicloi.com, and you can get a copy of it there. And actually, I got one of those. <laughs> so I, I recommend
0: okay. everyone else to do it as well. All right, great. Matt Theriault, thank you so much for your time today. You've added so much value to our listeners and to us. And
1: to us. Oh, awesome. Good. I'm glad I was able to deliver. Sometimes I take it for granted. I've been doing that for so long. I don't know what people know and don't know. So thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing with me. And and uh, thanks for the feedback. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care, guys.
0: Support for the Creative Real Estate Podcast is provided by Lead Funding, a great private lender serving Colorado, Arizona, Texas, and Washington State. We at Blue Spruce have worked with Lead Funding and heartily endorsed them. What we love about lead funding is that, number one, they're fast. I've personally seen them underwrite and close a loan in just 48 hours. And, number two, they are active investors themselves. That means they'll help you understand the pros and cons of a deal. And if it doesn't look good, they'll advise you on how to make it work or even walk away. They don't look just at the numbers. They have a keen eye for whether there are hidden gotchas in the rehab that you may not have noticed in your own due diligence. Seriously, these guys know their stuff and are great to work with. You can find them online at leadfunding.com or by calling 303-834-834. And make sure you listen to our interview with lead funding partner, Al Robertson, in episode four. Once again, call 303-834-3494 or just go to leadfunding.com.